This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. This particular passage is basically one where Paul tells the folks, don't worry, the resurrection has not happened yet because there were some people who crept into the church in Thessalonica who were trying to tell the people that the resurrection had already happened. Now, that was roughly equivalent to, in our day, someone coming to us and saying, the rapture has already taken place. How would we all feel if we thought we missed the rapture? <laughs> would, would we be upset and panicking? Yeah, we would. Yeah, so that was what was happening in Thessalonica. So Paul made sure they knew that the resurrection had not happened yet. You're okay. You haven't missed it. So now let's go back to the sermon passage. Now, as you see, the sermon is over the first 12 verses because there's, I just pretty much told you everything that there is to say about 13 through 18. So we need to go back and look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Now you see, do you see the word that starts out that passage? What do we normally think of when we think of the word finally? About time. Okay. <laughs> Have any of you ever been in a lecture, a seminar, a class, and maybe even a sermon? except for here, where the person says, in conclusion, and in your mind, you say, finally, right? Well, that's not what Paul means here. What Paul means here is he's already given them the, the cheerleader stuff. You know, boy, you guys are great. You're loving your, your neighbors. People are around the area and all through Macedonia and Greece are hearing about how awesome the Thessalonian church is. So he's done with that part. Now he says, finally. And what he means here is he's getting ready to talk about the meat of what he wants to tell them. And this is important because he starts out saying, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about first. How do you urge and exhort someone? Yeah, you encourage them. You try to lift them up and get them to go, oh yeah, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, or you better stop doing that. You know, one of the two things, you know, because if somebody's doing something dumb, you encourage them to stop doing it. And if they're not doing something they're supposed to, you encourage them to do it. You know, and everyone in here has someone like this. Well, either you are a supervisor and you have your subordinates or you're a teacher and you have the kids in your class, or maybe you just even have a coworker, somebody who you work alongside and you got to tell them something. You need to let them know that they can do better or something like that. And then you say, you better not do that. And they're likely to tell you, well, who do you think you are, right? Now, everyone has dealt with this at one point or the other. Now, I remember back in the early 80s, I was working as a pizza delivery man. 
one evening there we were all getting ready for our shift and there was like 30 people back there in that in the delivery department and we were getting absolutely no phone orders whatsoever now i had this co-worker this guy started saying well man look at the payroll here we got to get them payroll down we got to do that and you know the boss who owned the company was like through the door that was adjoining where we were and i went over and and i said you better cut that out because if they hear you they're not going to be impressed by your concern for their payroll what they're going to think is that you want to go home oh yeah yeah you got to cut down the payroll so finally sure enough the boss for our department comes in there and says all right we have too many people here tonight so i'm going to start sending people home guess what my buddy was one of the people they sent home and i said yeah, yeah, I, I told you, you know. Have you ever been able to be in this comfortable position where you can say, I told you so? And we all like that, don't we? You know, we like to be able to say, well, I told you, I tried to tell you, and you didn't pay any attention. But so you urge and exhort, you encourage the people, you encourage them to do the right thing, or you encourage them to stop doing the harmful things that are going to hurt them like my buddy in the pizza joint. So what does he encourage them in? He encourages them in the Lord Jesus. Now you have that authority. Paul can speak to this because he's doing what he's doing under the authority of Jesus. Now we have authority figures in our life, don't we? And so if we're engaging in some practice or some project, and we start giving orders like when I was back when I was in the army a few years later that after the pizza joint, I was assigned to go around and get the numbers for all of the passports in the battalion because it was a special forces battalion and every one of them needed passports. Now, so I went around and I said, I need that list. And somebody asked me, well, who told you to do that? And I said, well, I'm doing it because the battalion adjutant wants it. So I had my authority for carrying out that project. So have you ever done something or worked on a project where you needed to have and know what your authority to be doing it was? So that's important. And Paul's authority is no doubt, absolutely the highest authority you can get the Lord. Okay? Now, what does he tell them to do? <clears throat> you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Please God, okay? So how do we do that? Well, it's sort of like when you were a kid. All of us at one point, I know we're kids. And you wanted to please your parents, right? You wanted to do something to make your mom and your dad happy with you. And so I nailed it down and figured out the perfect thing that would make mom and dad happy with me. And it was so totally radical. I cleaned my room. So they were happy with that, of course. And so I was kind of beaming on the inside because I had the approval of my mom and dad for something I had done. So in our case, as disciples of the Lord, so we know why this is important, we live a life that's pleasing to God. So how do we do that?
We do that by obeying God. We do that by living the Christian life, by living as a disciple of Jesus in front of people so profoundly that they notice that we're disciples of Jesus, not because we're running around and we got our Christian button and we got a Christian bumper sticker on our car and all that other stuff. It's because there's something about us on the inside. Because we've come to Christ, we've gotten close enough to Him so that it just naturally reflects to the people around us. And that's how we live a life pleasing to God. Now, Paul goes on to say, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So does anybody here know what sanctification means? What's that? That's part of it. And the rest of it is to grow in holiness. Sanctification. Now, this may sound like it's not quite what we're talking about, but there are some people I know who the only exercise they ever get is running their mouth, flying off the handle, and jumping to conclusions. Now, for me, I had the problem with flying off the handle. Do we know what that means, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, having a really short fuse. I had such experience at flying off the handle that I got frequent flyer miles. And so those are character traits that are not admirable, right? Well, how that relates to the sanctification is that God wants to help us get rid of those things. And that means a longer fuse. That means being patient with people and finding out what's on their mind before you jump to a conclusion about that they're messing up or something. You're patient with other people. It's his desire that we be sanctified. Now, Paul goes on to say after that, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Why would he caution them about that? And the reason is simply this. Believe it or not, sexual urges are a major part of our human existence. And this doesn't include or necessarily mean doing something overtly sinful like adultery or fornication or whatever. It means having your mind clean too. And there are so many things out there that are designed intentionally by the persons who put them together to get us to start thinking about that stuff. And let me tell you, the internet is a minefield for that. You go to even what you think is a legitimate site, and there are ads along both the left and right columns for pictures that are too risky for public to view, but click on here and you can see them. So there's the temptation all over to indulge in this and to keep your mind occupied with basically, for lack of a better way to put it, dirty thoughts all day long. Paul's telling us to get our minds right. Now, the writer in the magazine, I believe it was Burke Parsons, who wrote in the Table Talk magazine a couple of years back, The pressure is on Christians to bow the knee to the culture on sexual matters and to embrace and approve of what God has forbidden. We cannot and must not give in, for our Creator has told us what is lawful and what is unlawful sexually. Let us resolve now not to surrender on these matters, 
but to stand firm against sexual immorality, no matter the cost, trusting that the Lord will care for us as we do so. But you see, giving in to those temptations doesn't hurt just us. It hurts the people around us. It hurts if you're an adult and you have kids and you give in to that stuff. It hurts them too. It hurts everybody around us. It is important for us to keep our minds straight and clean and walk with Jesus in this area to submit our urges to the Lord so they come under His control and so we can maintain control and we don't engage in behavior that will destroy our lives or the lives of our spouses, our kids, our in-laws, our nieces, nephews, siblings, or whoever because there is no such thing as a victimless sin. So that's why Paul tells us to abstain from that and that each of us should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. That means controlling yourself. But he's telling us to do that, and there's a reason for it. It's because God loves us, and he does not want us to mess up our lives. He wants us to live a life that is satisfying through and through, top to bottom. And that means keeping our nose clean. Okay, now Paul cited his apostolic authority for these things. And so God puts his love in us. Let's move down to verse 9 here. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. What is that taught by God? That, mean, that doesn't mean that God has a class and we all sit in the chairs in front of him and he teaches us this stuff. It means that he puts his love in us so we're able to love other people. And you see, the church, this church and in all the other churches, one of the major purposes of the church is to be a community of believers who love one another and who care for one another. And I want to tell you something. I think we got that one down because I have never felt so much love from any group of people that I felt my first Sunday back here at church after my near-death experience, because I knew that you all had been praying for me. And that was just a wonderful sense that there was this love, you know, sort of radiating out from all of you. And I felt it and I knew it. And that's how we know. You see, we pray for one another, don't we? We pray. For each other in all of our needs. We, we prayed a lot for Gary when he had the same thing I did about a couple of months before. And believe me, I wasn't trying to follow in your footsteps with that. And so we pray for Gary. We pray for Gene to have the gout permanently purged from his body. We pray for Gary to have the lungs healed and those holes filled in. We prayed for Judy when she was in the hospital. And we pray for each one of us. That's how you show you love one another, is you go to the Lord and you pray for that person. And believe me, you can't think ill of somebody for very long when you've started praying for them. And so you, have, you develop that love for them because when you pray for them, you start caring about them. Even if you didn't care about them before you started. By the time you get done praying for them for about a week or so, you start loving and caring for this person. And that's what this church does. And that's what we're really good at, is loving one another 
in sharing that love with one another by praying for one another and encouraging one another. And so that is one of the major points that Paul's trying to make here. Now, verse 11, he says that you aspire to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business. Have you ever told somebody, mind your own business? Well, that's biblical, actually. It doesn't mean don't care about them. Or if you see them in a self-destructive pattern, just to let it go. It means not to try to tell them how to live every part of their lives and not to tell them what to do. And so you end up being exhorted here not to be nosy because there is a difference between caring and loving for someone and being nosy. Now, we may need to work out where that boundary is in each one of ourselves, but there is a difference. And so Paul's saying, don't be nosy. Don't butt into other people's business and try to tell them how they should do everything. You do what you're supposed to do and you set the example for them. And if they are doing something wrong, may, they'll maybe see that example and it, copy you in a good way. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. Now, you go on that verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. And this is the major point of this entire chapter, that we walk properly toward those who are on the outside. Now, what that means is that we live the life of a disciple of Jesus to those people out there. And so in such a way that they see that there is something positively different about us. And that we attract them to Jesus by having that witness by our character in our lives. And that is important. And so what we're talking about here is the way to do that in such a way that we have what's called the abundant life. So we will have that abundant life. That doesn't mean having a Ferrari, but it does mean knowing we have the peace of mind and peace in our hearts to know that we're living a God-pleasing life. So God's calling us to a holy life. And some of the things that we've talked about here this morning are precisely the things we need to master. And so I know we've got one of those down. We know how to love one another and care for one another. But let's export that to the people to the world and we will most likely see a change in our environment around us if we are able to do that amen thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of power for living if you happen to miss any of our other programs be sure to go to our podcast page at christthekingnorthshore.podbean.com and you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your power for living.